In today's episode, we open our Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Paul provides practical guidance for living out the Christian faith. The Apostle encourages different groups in the church to model godly behavior and set an example for others. Specifically, he emphasizes the importance of self-control, good works, obedience, and living in a way that honors God and reflects the message of the gospel. Good morning and blessed Lenten Tide. Today is Tuesday, February 26th, and you're listening to Thy Strong Word. Each weekday morning, we explore the Holy Scripture through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Thy Strong Word is brought to you in part by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Next time you're online, head over to lhfmissions.org and find out all the ways that they help congregations and missionaries spread the good news of Jesus with all sorts of foreign language materials rooted in the Lutheran tradition. Again, that website is lhfmissions.org. This morning, I'm pleased to welcome to the show the Reverend Tyler Walworth. He's pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Dearborn, Michigan, and Our Savior Lutheran Church of the Deaf in Birmingham, Michigan. He's also administrator of the St. Martin Lutheran School for the Deaf in Dearborn, and he's going to help us as we dive into chapter two of Paul's letter to Titus. Good morning, Pastor Walworth. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Good morning. Great to be with you. Wow, it's amazing to have you. I don't believe that you've been on the program before, but I do know that back in August, you were featured on the Coffee Hour talking about your service to God's church at St. Martin Lutheran School for the Deaf. Uh, for the benefit yes. of our listeners this morning, could you share just a little bit about how God is using you and your congregation and the school there, all the different ways that you are being used in Michigan to spread the word? Uh, yeah, so uh, I, I started here, actually I started with uh, deaf mission work when I got out of seminary, and uh, I, I started with Milneck, and then I took a call um, to Redeemer in Birmingham, but I've been serving uh, at Emmanuel now for two years. This is my most recent call. But with the Deaf Church, uh, I've, I've been serving them all along. So uh, we started the Deaf School about five years ago now, uh, and uh, we we started it because one of the biggest needs in the Deaf community uh, is to reach out to parents with Deaf children um, and help them both learn English but also uh, learn the Word of God. So that's sort of our, our hope and passion is to spread the gospel to those who, though they can't hear with their ears, can receive the word of God uh, through their eyes. That's amazing. I, and I'm, and I'm, I'm glad that uh, the Lord's keeping you busy up there. Um, Dearborn, when I think of it, I, I, I got to say, I think of the uh, increasing Muslim population there. Um, do you find that there are a lot of Muslims and, and that kind of influence in your, in your neck of the woods? Yes, uh, it, it definitely has a very uh, Arabic-speaking uh, population. Um, although, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I've never been in a population that's so heavily um, Middle Eastern, but uh, it, it's very much a cultural, uh, at least from my experience so far, a cultural thing. So uh, it's not so much that you know anything's being pushed in any direction. It's just sort of there. You know, people are sort of going about their lives, and uh, they they live how they've lived wherever they've been, and they live that way here. Sure, sure. Well, all right. Well, I'll tell you what, as we get into our text today, there's going to be uh, well, a little bit of talk of how we Christians should behave as we are out in the culture, 
and whether or not our behavior gets in the way of our proclamation of the gospel. Uh, spoiler yes. alert, it can. But before we do that, brother, would you start off our time together in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have bestowed on us the grace of your Son, Jesus Christ, uh, and that this has specifically purified us uh, for the sake of being zealous for good works. Lord, though we were sinners, yet you have made us saints, uh, but now we must live as both until the resurrection. Uh, So we ask that you would help us, give us wisdom, uh, so that we might continue in our zeal for good works. Amen. Amen. Well, we just started this book uh, yesterday, on Monday, so we haven't gotten very far. Of course, it's not a, a giant letter here, but it, it, and we've just covered 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, so it feels very natural. In fact, it feels like he's covering a lot of the same things. But as we move into chapter 2, he just finished in the previous chapter, which, remember folks at home, the chapters are not inspired, nor are the verses, so really this is all just one continuing thought. But he ended the thought, or continued, we continued the thought yesterday, with they profess, that is false teachers, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for any good work. And he begins our chapter day by saying, but as for you. So we can see that what's coming next is, well, the contrary, how we should behave uh, unlike those false teachers. Are there any points that you want to make to set the foundation before we read some of our text today? Uh, well, you know, I, 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 looking at some of the prep material here, uh, you know, it's it's great to just to have Paul. I mean, he does this in, in many of his letters, but he sets up sort of okay the teaching, and now you know the teaching actually impacts everyday life and every order of everyday life. Um, so it's it's interesting that he continues that pattern here. Absolutely. And this everyday life is where we live out our Christian faith. So it makes sense that as he gives Titus some instructions on how to train up others, that he starts to divide it into some categories here, some natural categories. So if it's all right with you, I'm going to go ahead and read the first 10 verses, which really is the bulk of the chapter, but we'll take it nice and slow as we go through each part. So I'll begin with verse 1 of chapter 2 from the English Standard Version. But as for you, Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the Lord, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, preferring, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Wow, so it starts off being pretty normal, but then 
quickly becomes contentious in our world today. And then we're even talking about slavery at the end, which we're going to have to unpack for people. Uh, but yeah. let's just start at the top, brother. But as for you, Pastor Timothy, and uh, of course, Pastor Walworth and Pastor Boo and all the pastors out there, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Doctrine is important. What's he talking about? Yeah, you know, he uses this. I mean, it's great. You already went through, you know, first, second Timothy. Uh, you know, we, we usually think of doctrine as, you know, sort of on a book on a shelf, you know, somewhere. Um, but but he, Paul uses these doctrines as the actual teachings of what the orders of life are. He deals with creation. He deals with, you know, who we are as men and women. Um, and and so this sound doctrine then is really, you know, God's teaching uh, and and what uh, what when God teaches uh, it orders things uh, and so to to have healthy teaching is to actually be in line with reality. Right. So I mean, people say things like, "Well, you know, I I don't want to hear about doctrine. I just want to hear about Jesus. I don't want to hear about doctrine. I just want to know that God loves me or what God's done for me." Uh, but you really can't separate what doctrine is from God's message to us. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and again, you know, you've already done that in First uh, Timothy, but uh, you know, First Timothy, he he lists all these really bad things, and he says, well, the, these are not in keeping with sound doctrine, you know. And it's like, well, so sin, you know, sin and righteousness are also part of this, and and you know, like we've been saying, that's everyday life. You know, everything that I do now is part of the doctrine. I'm either following the teaching that's sound, or I'm following the teaching that's unhealthy. Right. And so that's that's what we have to do. And as a pastor, he has to teach those things. And and he's going to end this section just as he did with First and Second Timothy about, you know, you need to teach these things, of course, with gentleness and respect, but really with authority. This is what God tells us to do. This isn't what Pastor Titus wants. This is what God wants. And, and so we have some, I guess, uh, practical examples of what that looks like, because he says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine that is healthy, free from error, beneficial doctrine. And then he, he starts off with older men. And so essentially what he's saying here is this is what you are to teach the older men, right? Older men are be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Um, funny enough, brother, that seems a lot like the requirements to be a pastor in many ways. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think it's interesting he, he speaks to men first, uh, you know, going back to that order of creation, you know, they are to be, you know, the, the types that, that are to be followed. And of course, you know, Christ being man, you know, sets the, sets the stage as the new Adam. Uh, so, so men can't get away from, you know, their, their role in creation. Right. We, we all have these duties. And, and of course, you know, the, <laughs> whether you're the head of the household, whether you're an older man, um, you are to display that faith and raise up, well, younger men in the faith. And we'll hear about younger women and women here in a minute. Um, by the way, I, I did read somewhere, and I don't know how old you are, brother. I'm, I'm 42, so I'm not quite in the older men category, according to Greek <laughs> thought, uh, which is good. I have a few years left. Um, so according to, uh, I guess, Greek theory, uh, the, the basically the prevailing thoughts at the time, um, Hippocrates divided humanity's life stages into um, uh, Pideon, right, which is child, mm -hmm. Pice boy, um, Myrachion, uh, a youth, 
Um, and then we get to an heir is a man. So that's man is like 29 to 49. And a presbytus is basically old man. And old man is 50 to 56. <laughs> so elderly man is 57 to death, which, uh, which I don't Ooh. know, that's sort of disheartening. But anyway. Um, <laughs> You're, yeah, we're getting closer all the time. Yeah, right. We're all headed on that same track. But what's what's interesting is the word presbytus, which is not to be confused with presbyteros, which is what we translated elder or church leader or pastor uh, earlier in First Timothy, but mm. still it carries with this responsibility that even within the church or the Christian community, older men are to have a, a, dignif uh, uh, a, a dignity about them, right? They're, they're to carry mm -hmm. around self-control uh, and love and steadfastness. Uh, do you still see that being prominent in the church today? I mean, are older men stepping up to that responsibility, or do we even see that as a responsibility? Yeah, that's you, you know that's I, you, you hear some of these books, right? Why men aren't in church, and uh, I think I, I heard something recently that there, there's women are are now sort of have a downward trend of going to church. But yeah, it, it does seem that um, there's a lack of example of you know of older men. Uh, and again, that's not to judge every older man. I, I'm, I'm 33, so you know I, I'm, I'm really close to being a young man. So I can't. I don't want to cast aspersions. That's right. Um, Good for you. I, but uh, <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, I, I think that uh, the ones that are there, though, you know, I, I mean, I, I think of Emmanuel, you know, and we we have elders, and uh, and and there are a lot of these men uh, who are among us, and and they do fill these these roles. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I just, I find it fascinating that he actually has a list of stuff. You know, sometimes you're like, well, you know, you just gotta be, you know, a, a good guy, but you know, th these are actual things you can do, you know, th to actually be sober minded. Um, you know, meaning that you actually don't, uh, you're not frivolous all the time, or, you know, you're not occupied with silly things, um, you're dignified and to actually exercise self-control um, you know, it, it's interesting that that's part of it. And I, I think, uh, you know, the negative is, of course, that I think they're, we've had a trend of men not being in church, and that's been a sad thing. But the men that are there, um, you know, it, it, you can't help but see that this is, this is what comes out of Christians, uh, that, you know, Christian men. And I, and I think every, you know, every young man probably has one Christian man, every young Christian man has some Christian uh, father uh, in the sense that an old man to look up to. And, uh, and you see that. I mean, it's it's still there, and it's wonderful to see. Well, one thing I believe is lost on us a little bit today is that during this time, in both Jewish and Greek culture and pagan cultures, there the, the, the common – how should I say this? The, the, the lowest basic segment of society is the family, and the families are wider than what we think of today. There are not only fathers and children and mothers. But there would also be maybe extended relatives and other types of relationships. But the point is teaching the faith, bringing up people in the faith doesn't just happen at church once a week. And it doesn't happen for the younger people in Bible study or Sunday school. It would be the responsibility of, well, the leaders of the household. And so right. older men had a requirement to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, and especially sound in faith, right? We just heard sound doctrine. They need to have a good command of the scriptures and God's teaching too, because, well, they are the, uh, you know, house bischoffs, right? They, it is their job to raise up their families in the faith. 
And I think that's what's missing a little bit today. We lament over the fact that there aren't men in churches enough, and you're absolutely right. I've seen those same statistics that show that women are starting to depart too. Well, that's because we've outsourced raising up people in the faith to the churches, and of course the contact time there with anybody is so much lower than it would be just, well, being dignified and sound in the faith at home in love. Right. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, I think it was maybe it was Professor Kleinig, um, John Kleinig, who yeah, he's got several things out now about you know the body and things like that. But he talks about the family altar a lot, and I think that's that's right. You know, the, the sound and faith, love and steadfastness at home uh, is is really the pillar. And it's it, you're right. He starts with that. You know, it's sort of this okay, the pastors, but the older men are the ones who are there. So yeah, that's a, I, I like that. It reminds me of when back in First Timothy, he was giving him instructions on how to deal with older men because presumably Timothy is not in his 50s. And so when it came to um, just regular young men, you know, between 22 and 49, which probably Timothy falls into, he says in verse 5 of First Timothy of chapter 5, he says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father and younger men as brothers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So – so, you know, there's sort of two sides to this. On the one hand, even those who are in leadership must be in deferential or in deference rather to those who are uh, older and getting toward elderly. But at the same time, those older men are to also exercise, uh, I guess, their office as as heads of households in ways that are consistent with the scripture. And And there are also things for the women to do, of course, because in verse three, he goes on. Older women, also in that over age 50 category, likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. So I think it's fascinating. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. It seems that when Paul is telling Titus on training people, he tells Titus as pastor, you are to train these older men to do this. You are to train the younger men later we'll hear. But then when it comes to training the younger women, it's sort of like, Titus, you let the older women train the younger women. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that, that is fascinating because he doesn't, he doesn't make the connection with the older men. He doesn't say, teach the young men, you know. Uh, he just sort of straight up says, you know, younger men, you're supposed to be self-controlled. So, yeah, there, there is, I think, uh, something to this. Uh, that, that, uh, and, and, and again, this goes back to creation as well. Uh, you know, I mean, men and women are, you know, created by God uh, is distinct and and therefore, you know, they have their own distinct ways of thinking and doing uh, as men and women. And and somehow, you know, the, the Lord has united this in this passage to say, well, you know, this is this is part of the responsibility of uh, older women to younger uh, that that maybe, uh, you know, men can't do as well or at least uh, it shouldn't be taken away from older women, that they should be also the ones who are teaching. Well, absolutely, and they have these requirements, which, as we just said earlier, the older men really have some of the same requirements as the uh, presbyters, overseers, pastors, basically. And I often hear the two, you know, well, pastors are held to a higher standard. Um, no, because <laughs> actually pastors and people, that is Christians, are held to a very mm. high standard. Uh, certainly pastors should live in a way that's above reproach, but but so should the older men. And in this case, 
the older women, he says, are to be reverent behavior, not slanderous slaves to much wine. Well, again, taking us back to 1 Timothy 3, he talked about the wives of pastors and saying their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. And so I just think it'd be interesting because we so often and have been talking about because, well, we've been in First and Second Timothy, these requirements for pastors. But here, the reason why we have those requirements for pastors, I think, in Timothy is because Timothy needs to model those things. And the reason why pastors should model them is not so that they can be holy and above others and on a pedestal, but so that they can then be in a position to teach these other people to behave in the same way. Um, and so I just think it's fascinating that we see here very, uh, I guess, parallel things with, with what pastors and their wives are, the standards that they're held to. And then when it comes to older women, of course, they're to be reverent. And I love, I love or slaves to much wine. Um, so, yeah, you know, a little wine is okay, right? but you don't want to be slaves <laughs> to it. And then I love the Greek here for slanderers. The Greek word is diabolos. So really, don't be devils, right? The devil is a slanderer, an accuser. And so he says, you know, older women should not be devils. And I think that's good advice, probably good advice for the men, too. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I think they, it addresses some of the weaknesses of both. Right? I mean, you know, I think maybe that's part of our society, too, is, you know, this lack of self-control for men um, and also the ability to be on social media constantly, you know, maybe – you know, for women being able to gossip or do more things like that, that'd be a, an awful thing. Right. I mean, the whole point here is that not only is this behavior something that you should be doing because you want to live godly lives, but as he pointed out in verse 5, the very last clause, he says, that the word of God may not be reviled. I mean, the, kind of the point of having a standard of behavior is so that we have a good standing before outsiders. And that's a little bit why I asked about the, the Muslim population, because you know when you have a population that has a reputation of something, your reputation is often – their reputation might be fair. It might be false. Um, but then when you see them out living their lives, that tells you a little bit more about who they really are. And so I know that the Muslims have had a rough go of it. Uh, but when you encounter them in life, you say, oh, okay, well, this is, this is how they live, and it tells you a lot more about who they are. Well, Christians should be the same way. We have certain reputations of what we're, what we're allegedly like, uh, you know, intolerant and backwards and, and you know, co committed to uh, oppression of women and patriarchy right. and all kinds of other crazy <laughs> stuff out there. But then if you're out there living your life in a way that, well, God calls you to here – well, people can't accuse us of those things, and that's that's what he talks about a little later. Yeah, amen, amen. All right, so uh, we have here there to train the young women to, and then I guess this is what we should take apart a little bit. Uh, we're we're just getting ready to come into a break here in a few minutes, so we'll get started and we'll finish it on the other side. But train the young women to love their husbands and children. To be self-controlled, again, that's pretty much everybody, pure or chaste, and then working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands. And so these are included in the things that we act like so that the word of God isn't reviled among the outsiders. Um, 
do women really have to be told to love their husbands and children? Why do you think that he includes the things like that? Yeah, you know, I, I think uh, this is this is the hard. Uh, the, I, I was reading on uh, Luther when he's giving his comments on Titus, and he says, you know, this is this is the hard thing is that they seem like such regular, ordinary things, um, and so it's easy to despise them. Um, and or you know, when Paul says so often, well, I mean, when you're given a law, you really want to do the opposite. <laughs> And and so to to have a life that revolves around you know seemingly small things, um, you know, and I think probably the American culture is really good at this whole glamour thing, uh, you know. Oh yeah, you got to follow your dreams. You know, it's like well, you know, really loving your husband and and your children that's that's the glamorous thing in God's eyes. Um, and, and I think our, our sinful flesh doesn't want to do that. And so because it's sort of this is the vocation of being a mother and a wife. Um, it seems normal and mundane. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Luther does talk <clears throat> about that. He says that, you know, when um, when a woman is working to the benefit of her family and her children, when she's loving her family, um, then their everyday matters. Uh, he, he actually writes, and I'm trying to find the quote real quick. He says that— um, that she should enjoy staying home, that she willingly allows herself to recognize the sign that she enjoys being in the kitchen, that she does not enjoy going out, that she does not enjoy speaking with others. These types of things are a danger if people if people see that as uh, what what is decent discipline. They see that as like these negative things, and that is a negative take on it. But what he says is he's trying to talk. Luther takes it in contrast to not going out and say working in the in the you know, the business world, we, we see women that do that within scriptures, but he's talking here about women who, who, um, would might, might go to a convent. And that's certainly something that's really keen on his, on his mind. So then when he says, when a woman's in the kitchen or when she's making a straw bed, it's an everyday thing. Women who do such work are 10 times better in their lives than if they lived in a convent. And meanwhile, were filled with evil thoughts and lust because they were idle. A wife is appointed for things that are very ordinary in the judgment of the flesh, but nevertheless are precious in the eyes of God. So, you know, obviously I'm reading out of context. You have to read a lot of that to really understand the full thrust of what he's saying. So, you know, if it sounded weird, don't don't get worked up over it. But I think you'll agree, Pastor, that Luther's point really, and it just doesn't extend to women in domestic duties, um, all the things that we do throughout our daily lives as we take care of our families and our children, as we just do the the boring stuff that we have to do, the world looks at it and sees it, as you said, not glamorous, but God looks at it and he sees it as very precious, as keeping his word, as as doing the things that are necessary. Nobody, nobody gets uh, awards on stage for changing babies' diapers, but it has to be done, and for God, that is a holy work, and certainly the baby is very appreciative of it too. <laughs> Amen. So when we when it says when the Bible says things like be self-controlled, chaste, in that case it's talking about marital chasteness, right? Stay within the confines of your marriage. And when he says working at home, he's not saying that women have to always be home and in the kitchen. You know, that's certainly that was Luther's world. But what he is saying is that working toward the home is something that um, is a gift, even though it's not very glamorous. Do you read it a different way or a, a more stringent way? 
You know, I, I reading through that, I, I think uh, I think that's right. Um, you know, in the sense that you know, there's other passages where they're actually, you know, women are called oikodespotes. You know, like the masters of house. Um, in, in the sense that you know, this is Proverbs 31. You know, that that when the, when a woman sees that you know she is being a mother has its own office, and part of that office is uh, that she would manage her household well. Um, you know that's that's a that's a glorious thing, and yeah, I think we we sort of imagine the very very tight roles. Oh, you know, wash the dishes, you know, do the do the cleaning, whatever. Um, but I think it's broader than that, uh, and, and I think you said it right. You know, that, that all things are then done for the sake of their husbands and children, um, and and aimed at that love. Um, and and I I love that it brings in home. You know, I mean, this is this is where the you know the substance of being a wife and mother really happens right and it, and it is so important managing the household is exactly what it sounds like this isn't a uh, inferior position because oh well you can't make it out in the world oh my goodness no there are so we we think about all the duties the hats the vocation so to speak that a that a wife and mother especially mm-hmm. must must wear in her her duties to manage the household because god has designed it this way things tend to go better now of course we live in a world of sin there isn't always the ability to have you know uh the wife stay at home or maybe a a husband for a variety of reasons is unable to make money Uh, so this isn't like a hard and fast um you know this is where you have to be and what you have to do this is why he says that the word of god may not be reviled because not only is this behavior godly but if the christian women in during this time of when this when titus was written if they were all taking their christian freedom to go out and and abandon their households abandon their husbands you know the 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 heathen world would look at that and say well look how wicked the the christian women are look how uh, unsober minded undignified and not self controlled the older men are Look at the younger men and how they don't do good things. They would look at that, and as Luther says, um, if we have a wicked life, we alienate many. Quote, because the heathen cannot see our faith, they ought to see our works, then hear our doctrine, and then be converted. And and that is why we do the things we do. We God is a God of order, and we live our lives out in ordered ways so that the outside world can look at it and go, wow, oh, they really believe the things they say. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right, and and I, I think that's probably one of the saddest parts of our our common you know our, our culture today is it really militates against the idea of a home being you know husband and wife and children, um, and that that is a good and valuable thing. Uh, that that's the, uh, but here we see that uplifted, and when people see that working, they see ah, what a, it, I mean, it really does. It's it's a beautiful picture, right? It's Christ and the church. That is it, Christ and the church, and that is the mystery behind our marriages and, of course, the duties that we have as parents if we're blessed with children. Uh, but I tell you what, that's something for us to think about. Folks, uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to come back in just a few minutes, and when we do, we'll continue talking about Titus chapter 2.
These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. With me today is the Reverend Tyler Walworth, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Dearborn, Michigan, our Savior Lutheran Church of the Death in Birmingham, Michigan, and administrator of St. Martin Lutheran School for the Deaf in Dearborn, Michigan. Folks, if you have any thoughts or questions about today's show, don't hesitate to reach out to me, Pastor Boo, B-O-O-E, at gmail.com, um, or drop me a message on Facebook. You can find me there. It doesn't matter. I just love hearing from you. And thank you so much for tuning into Thy Strong Word. You can catch us on the airwaves, on demand at kfuo.org. And for those who prefer to listen on the go, you can download the KFUO app. Or we can also be found on your favorite podcasting platforms. It just means the world to me that you're here. And thank you for telling your friends and family about Thy Strong Word. Now, Pastor, before the break, um, you know, we, we got into what is a really a sticky subject in today's world because it has been so misunderstood and misused throughout the centuries, frankly. Uh, and that is, you know, what is the role of women? We talk about often within the church, but what is the role of women within the home? And, and how I read it is that women are elevated within the home to a status that was unheard of really in this, in this time period. Women would not have been um, asked to manage their households. They would not have been asked to uh, um, to uh, to be in charge of those things. You know, we do have the text here, submissive to their husbands, but this isn't the submission that comes from being domineered over. This is the submission that comes from following God's will. And so in many ways, the women would be and, and still are vital, extremely vital to the health of a of an ordinary Christian household. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I you know, I I've had to put a lot of thought into this because you're right, you know, it's such a sticky thing. And uh, one thing, you know, or maybe a couple that I think are helpful. One is uh, I think we we confuse order with value. You know, we think, well, you know, mm -hmm. if if this if I have to do this job, then I am valueless. Well, that's that's not true. I mean, as we'll see, even slaves are considered to be valuable. As a matter of fact, they can be holy and God-pleasing as a slave, and that's that's sort of just mind-blowing. But right. here, especially we see, in this society, you know, yeah. Uh, so, so I think that you know, just because this is the order, and it's a good one, um, you know, that that now, oh well, if I'm working at home, I'm I'm less valuable than if I'm working, you know, somewhere else, or if I if my, um, you know, if I if I'm being told by God to do this job, you know, I'm, I have a less important job. I think this even happens with pastors, right? I mean, well, you know, I'm a pastor, so I have a more important job than you other normal Christians. Well, that's, that's you know, that's foolishness. Um, so the order doesn't decide the value. And the value, of course, is what you were talking about before, is that you're, they're children of God, and they get to right. do these wonderful things. 
So I think that's one of the major confusions in our day that, you know, oh, well, if you're not out working in the world and you're working at home, then you're just valueless. Yeah, I guess that is a very good point and one that I didn't do a good job before the break trying to make. For instance, my wife works from home, but she also has the privilege of having a college degree. She also have the privilege in our day and age of being able to work a, a, a job, um, you know, have a business interest outside the home by working from home. I know not everybody's able to do that. She has worked plenty of times outside the home to help support the family when necessary. Uh, but because if you asked her about how she values her time, she loves having a job, but her vocation is that of a mother and a wife. And so there is so many benefits there, which I know not everybody has the privilege of being able to exercise. So for instance, the Bible speaks of Christian women having business interest outside the home, Lydia, the seller of purple and stuff, and they're mm -hmm. praised upon. They're wealthy women who either through their own um, venture, because you know the Roman society was opening up to this possibility more and more. Um, so what Paul is saying here is that as you exercise your Christian freedom, whether you're an older man or an older woman or a younger woman or a younger man, don't use your freedom in such a way that will uh, taint our message or taint the word of God. In verse six, it says, likewise to younger men, right? So basically everything that you just heard, likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. And that's all it says for the younger men, which I think is kind of funny because I wonder if that's just about the best you could hope for with some of those younger men. <laughs> I mean, the younger women yeah. were like, you know, you need to be these pillars of your household holding up the, the godly structure. And then to the younger men, it's just like, you know what? Just don't mess up too much. That's about that's about all we could ask. I don't know. I'm being a little well, facetious, but go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, and, but it's interesting. You you brought that cultural context, and, and maybe that's that's you know, I, I never thought about it before like that. But maybe that's why there is this expansion on the teaching of women because you know the, 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 they had so much back work to do because women were considered as as property or less than that or some kind of object, uh, and they had to show that no, no, that's that's untrue. You know, and, and so they had a lot of you know, filling in, whereas, you know, the, the men had been, you know, sort of given these virtues, uh, so they didn't have to do as much because they were already valued by the culture. But to show women as valued by God, you know, hey, look, these things are, you know, to put these in Scripture is to enshrine them in, you know, everlasting glory, that these are things that are good. Well, absolutely. I mean, if, if you if you were raised, grew up, or you know, your whole life was in a society where women were seen as second-class citizens, and then Christianity comes along, the, the true message of the gospel comes, and you hear things like there is no male or female or you know, slave or free. There is no Jew or Greek, but all are one in Christ. Then a Christian woman, you go, wow, that's, that's radical, radical information. But because women, men, everybody are also sinners— you're also likely to say, well, then I'm just going to go off and I'm going to abandon the order and I'm just going to do whatever I want. And and not only would that not be good or godly, it also just wouldn't look good on the message. So the message is that you're all one in Christ, but that doesn't undo the order. That doesn't undo um, roles uh, that you would have even in society. Will those roles change as culture changes? Yeah, to some extent, but there are some some so uh, firm godly roles that people have too that we must strive to to maintain amen so we have in verse seven then 
this is now directed right back to Titus, but it's for the purpose of teaching. So he says to Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing to evil to say about us. So, you know, he doesn't leave off the leader here. You know, older men, sound in faith, sober-minded. Older women, reverent, and teach and train up the younger women. Younger women, train up and be uh, uh, good good wives, good mothers. Uh, younger men, be self-controlled. Imitate the good works that are the pastor is going to be imitating. But then he says here, and then the way you teach you have to do it in such a way that we're not giving extra fodder to the enemies of the faith, that they will look at us and go, oh, yeah, I, I guess uh, I guess I mean, I disagree with them, but they seem to be nice people, so to speak, you know, or they seem to be really believing what they say or they practice what they preach. How have how have you? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. Well, and, and it's interesting. It comes after all those things, because if so uh, we now have the model. And I think even the, you know, even going back to, well, what does submissiveness look like? You know, he's supposed to model that too. I mean, we have, uh, well, I guess we're not doing that, but in chapter uh, three of Titus, you know, he says, everyone's to be submissive to rulers and authorities, you know? So, so it's, it's all the things that were previously mentioned now, Titus, or yeah, Titus is, is being told, you do that. Right, right. And that's what's really important. And I think also really different for society that even the leaders within these congregations aren't leaders to be put on a pedestal and to be obeyed without question, but are ones who are to, well, yes, certainly live a life that's above reproach, but have their own sins forgiven, have their own teaching checked against the scriptures and against the, uh, the testimonies that have already been passed down. All, you know, they, they don't have free reign to make their own little individual cults. It's not as you know, it's like, it's like a franchise, right? You have to obey the franchise's rules. You have to, uh, you, you can teach with authority as we're getting ready to hear, but that authority is not your power, it's something that you're exercising on behalf of God. So, yeah, I do like that idea that you know, the whole relationship that everybody has, both within the family and within the church, is one of mutual, mutual, you know, uh, holding each other account, showing integrity, dignity, that sort of. Well, brother, do you want to get into verse 9 and 10? Because that's another sticky one, right? Because then oh, we yeah. get into right. <laughs> bond servants, douloses, right? Now, you're to be submissive to their masters in everything. They're to be well-pleasing, argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. And then uh, Paul talks about this as adorning the doctrine of God our Savior. So even slaves, well, it might be a good idea to give a little refresher on the difference between the slavery that we think about it in, in these later days and maybe the types of slavery in the Roman world. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, I, I uh, reading Luther on that um, and some of the others that I, I sort of tried to get some, some sense um, is, you know, I mean, slaves at, at, the, at the Roman times, at least, were, were property. Um, yeah, and I don't think that that implies, you know, some kind of, uh, you know, beating property or something like that. Um, you know, I, I think they maybe, you know, considered less than human, maybe, um, but I, I didn't really see much of that. Um, but again, like anything, you're, if you treat your, pro you're not going to 
you're not going to abuse your property. You know, and that's that's sort of you know part of us. Um, but I, I think that especially in the Roman world, uh, you were really considered a nothing when it came to society. Um, you know, and that's why I mean you get that in First Corinthians, right? And not many of you had you know much value in the world, and yet the Lord took what was nothing and made it something. So. Well, and you're right. Slavery during this time, which is different than colonial or modern examples of slavery, um, sometimes it would be voluntary. They say they have a debt, um, but as you said, they'd also be forced into subjection. So whether or not you were a slave because you were considered property or whether or not you were a slave because you voluntarily did it to pay off your debt, your status in society was basically reduced to almost nothing. And so then when the gospel comes around and says before God, you, you, that status means nothing, then just like the young men, just like the older men, and just like the women, you could then say, well, then if, if before God my station in life doesn't mean anything, then I'll just behave any way I want. And, and that's, I think that is definitely the, the point here is that no, in fact, if the goal is for us to have good standing with outsiders. If your goal as a Christian servant is to, I guess, redeem your master, then the only way you're going to do that is to be submissive, to be pleasing. Don't argue. Don't steal. And then show your faith, right? So don't – he's not urging uh, slaves to um, consider themselves worthless, but he's also not wanting them to use their new status as a child of God as a license for wrongdoing because, well – Right. The, the teaching of God is what we need to have a good reputation for reaching more people. But it's such a hard sell. It's such a hard sell yeah. to tell someone who's enslaved, whether voluntarily or or not voluntary for them to say, well, listen, you need to be very obedient to your master because, well, we're hoping that your master will also come to the faith. That's a, I, I, I'm 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 not disagreeing that that's a tough sell, but that is, of course, what the word of God says. Well, and you know, I think though too, you know, what a what a freeing thing for everyone who was a slave at the time, because it meant you didn't have to, you know, somehow break free or be something different, uh, you know, because that wouldn't be. I mean, for many, that would be impossible, you know, or the death sentence. I mean, was something like that. Um, you know, but they weren't. To- they were told you actually what you're doing right now, God loves. I mean, that, you know, to, to imagine, well, so I'm, but I'm a slave. I'm nothing. No, that's in God's eyes. These are precious works that, that actually adorn the teaching that gives salvation. You know, so I, how, you know, I mean, it's, it's such a wonderful thing now that all these slaves can say, hey, I, I don't have, I can serve God right where I am. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to leave this. You know, I mean, and, and of course, Paul gives the caveat, right? If you can get your freedom, sure, that'd be fantastic. However, if you can't, it doesn't mean you can't serve God. Right. And I think the best modern analogy, and I hope you would agree unless you have a better one, is maybe not slavery, but perhaps just the fact that most of us have to work for a living. <laughs> you know, most of us, <laughs> most of us can't just say, well, you know, I've declared myself. So I'm the king. I'm sorry. I am the. Uh, I'm the son of the king. Uh, I have all the inheritance of heaven. So therefore, I'm also going to declare myself completely financially independent in this world. And now I don't have to work. But the reality is, despite your status in heaven, you actually still have to. You know, you have to pay the light bills. 
And so we have to work. We have to do a job. Some people like their jobs better than others, but, uh, and some people will work one job while aspiring to a better job, which is nothing wrong with that. But regardless of where you at are at in your current life, you are to be submissive to your bosses, be well-pleasing, not argumentative, don't steal, show good faith, even if you hate the job. Even if you're like, I'm only going to do this to pay the bills till I can graduate school or till I can get another job. Well, wherever you're at in life, well, that's where you're at. That's where God has put you and or where maybe you put yourself. But that's where God wants you to serve, even though you might be aspiring to say something better. So for a bond servant during this time, they might be aspiring to be free or be a citizen or pay off their debt. Or maybe they'll, they know that'll never happen and they'll be bond servants their whole lives. Well, there are people in this world that work a job they don't like their whole lives. But it doesn't, it doesn't rob you of the opportunity to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be godly even in this situation that I'm not pleased with. At least that's how I see it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. I mean, Luther just says, well, you know, this isn't, you know, it, it's interesting. This doesn't happen in our day, but, you know, m- most people are servants voluntarily, and so it applies to them. And, and I think that's sort of the same thing, right? I mean, we, we have to work. Um, and, and I think that there's something just it's something that's so on its head, and yet, uh, you know, it, it's a beautiful thing, is submission in our jobs, in submission in general, is a virtue, because we're actually looking to serve God. Uh, and so our humility and our submission is always that, you know, I, I mean, the large catechism, I think, puts it well, uh, is that th- these are masks of God. And when you serve your parents or you serve, you know, your boss that, <laughs> that doesn't really like you or, you know, treats you like you know, trash, you're serving God. And, and it doesn't look like it, especially if you've got bad parents or a bad boss. But but that's really what's happening. And so that submission then is the same as Christ. I mean, he is the you know, the submission par excellence, not my will, but your will. And this is sort of exemplifying that. I hate to out him on the radio, just like I don't like to out him in my sermons, but I have a 15-year-old son who didn't want to go to school this morning, and we had this very same conversation, um, maybe a little louder at times. And it was it was basically, um, sometimes there are things you, you have to do because you just have to do them. You know, it doesn't matter if you think you're right or you have good reasons. Um, well, you're being mean. Well, you know, brother, there, there are going to be mean people in the world that you have to deal with. You might as well develop coping mechanisms now. And so if I have to be mean to teach you that lesson, then I guess I just have to do it. Uh, but, you know, you, you just you have to do it. You have to submit to the fact that you your vocation right now is a student. And whether you feel like it or not, that's what you have to do. So I remember being 15 and being the same way. So I, I can't. I can't I can't argue with him too much, even though That's I right. arguing this morning. But but um, well, let's read. We have uh, just uh, verses 11 through 15, which we have not heard, which finishes up this chapter. Here we go. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no one disregard you. So I love it, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation 
for all people. And that's what you've been talking around, right, right brother? I mean, this is all about the fact that your status before God has changed. And, and it's not that all people are automatically saved, but the salvation is indeed for all people, should they, should they not reject it. Yeah, that's why, well, and and, uh, and I think our our confessions, you know, they 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 put this in predestination, you know, not to get into that huge mess, but um, but it's a wonderful doctrine because it, you know we really as Lutherans believe salvation is for everyone, and no one is predestined for hell. Not one person is meant. God does not want one person to be in hell. Um, you know, and, and, and that's, it's just, it, when you preach the gospel, it's always true. And that's the, that's the best thing in the world. Cause what you, it's always good news for everyone, even the boss that doesn't like you or the, you know, whatever other situation you're in. Well, and, and I also love it because you don't have to go to St. James to hear about good works, right? Here's St. Paul saying that's right. That's right. it's training us to renounce ungodliness and work, to live self-controlled, et cetera, et cetera. To, uh, to create for himself a people who are zealous for good works. And that's what we've been talking about, right? We've not been talking about how to get saved. We've been talking about the fact that salvation is for all people. What do, how do we live after that? And that's what he's been saying. And also, just to add here, and I want to hear what you have to say, uh, on, in verse 13, it's, this, this, it's grammatically a powerful reference to Christ's deity, the fact that Jesus is God. And people say, you know, well, this is – there are critics of the scriptures who say that that's – that Jesus' is God is not clear in the Bible, which we obviously find very uh, false. But still, verse 13, he says, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing – of course, the return, that is, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, some people might say, well, it means we're waiting for our God, and we're also waiting for our Savior, Jesus Christ. But grammatically, this is no great God and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, he recognizes Jesus as God, which is beautiful. Yeah, yeah, and it's I mean that and that of course you know puts the cap on what he did. You know that's the only way he could do it, and the ransom has to be for all because when God dies uh, in Christ, uh, you know that that is the payment that nothing you know. There can't be a sin left because God takes care of all of them, showing, of course, the depth of our sin, but also the depth of God's love, uh, that he, that he as, as God, became man for us to die. Well, and that's so important, right, that Jesus is God, not just some good teacher from old, but rather his life, death, and resurrection brings us the salvation, which then enables us to, well, live in these seemingly impossible ways that Paul is calling for us to live. Uh, we have just one minute left, brother. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up the show? I, you know, I, I, it always, it always hits me because it, it, he does it two times in his last passages. He says, "Well, you know, you're, you're, you get this love of God, and and the love of God does things in you, and those things are the good works." And so it's, it's just glorious that we Christians, you know, now I think sometimes, well, we have grace. Now it's over. Well, no, not. Now, if I'm to remain, as Paul says, it's fruitful labor for me, but I'd rather be with Christ. So I think it's That's just right. a wonderful admonition. Wonderful. Well, I'd like to thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Tyler Walworth, pastor of Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Dearborn, Michigan, and Our Savior Lutheran Church of the Deaf in Birmingham, Michigan, and administrator of St. Martin Lutheran School for the Deaf in Dearborn, Michigan. Thank you, Pastor, for being on the show. Thank you. Great to be with you.
Brothers and sisters at home, don't go anywhere because there's going to be more great programming coming right up. But this is the end of our show for today. Tomorrow, we'll keep going with Titus chapter three. Looking forward to that. But until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray. Father, keep us in thy strong word. <laughs>